Hello, and welcome to the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, brought to you by North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association. I'm your host, Ben Stockdale. Squeaky Clean listeners, I'm Jarvis Arrington, the intern for the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast. Bring in the latest in clean energy right to your ears. And a happy New Year's Day to everyone. Welcome to 2020. Yes, welcome to 2020. It's a new year, it's a new decade, and it's a new episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, part two of our Decade in Review. Yeah, Ben, I thought we already talked about the 2010s, so why do we need a part two? Good question, Jarvis. Well, we talked about the decade of the past, but I think equally, if not more exciting, is the decade in the future. So we're hopping back in the time machine with Ivan Erlob, Executive Director of NCSEA, and we're going to be talking about clean energy developments that might happen in the future. We're making predictions about policy, about industry innovations, and we might even talk about the year 20. 50? Does that even exist? Exactly. So we are going to be having an awesome conversation. It is very futuristic. Well, sounds good, Marty McFly. Uh, Let's get back to the future. (laughs) Yes, definitely. But before we do that, we're going to say hello. Hello, governor. (laughs) (laughs) To our listeners in the UK. Thanks for listening to Squeaky Clean. Yes. And our city shout out goes to the Queen City, my hometown, the beautiful and growing a whole bunch, Charlotte. So hello to everyone that listens to us in Charlotte. Yes, thanks so much for listening. And without further ado, Jarvis, let's jump into this episode, shall we? Let's do it. Clean energy. Hey everyone, we are back live at NCSEA Studios. Happy New Year, everybody. Woohoo! All right, (laughs) bringing in 2020. We're on January 1st, the first day of the new decade. Ivan, welcome back to the show. Thank you. And we are so excited to have you here today. We had you here yesterday, now you're back. And uh, Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah, yeah, Happy New Year. Hope you're uh, taking the day off, making some resolutions, going on a nice walk, spending some time with the family. So uh, I'm sure you're cozy, maybe in your living room, drinking some hot chocolate. And uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to continue to spread some holiday cheer with uh, clean energy of the future. So let's jump into this conversation. Ivan. Why are the 2020s going to be different than the 2010s for clean energy in North Carolina? Uh, we're gonna we're gonna go for the the whole enchilada in in the 2020s. You heard it here first, the whole enchilada. <laughs> I love it. 2020 is gonna be all about taking what we've done and learned in the last two decades and making it all work together. We have the opportunity and the imperative to figure out what the path to entirely clean energy looks like. 
across all aspects of our economy. And not only am I optimistic that we're going to have answers, um, but we're going to do it. Uh, it. I don't think carbon even necessarily is going to be the driving enabler of uh, clean energy in the 2020s. I think it's going to be economics and uh, just continued innovation. Uh, we're just excel- the pace of innovation just continues to accelerate with better and better economics. So I, I don't want to bring down the vibe or, or introduce something that's going to ruin people's holiday, but we do have to talk about it. How much natural gas is planned for the future? And I think that many assume that natural gas is going to be this bridge fuel to clean energy. How long does this bridge need to be and how do we challenge this assumption? Well, welcome to the new year. So I think it was maybe yesterday that we reached the end of the natural gas bridge. Hey, uh, there you go. Heard uh, it here you first. may not know it yet, Yeah. Uh, but the economics are not in natural gas's uh, right. favor over right. the life of any natural gas, almost any natural gas plant that's going to be built uh, tomorrow. So uh, RMI had a great report out. And that's Rocky Mountain Institute. Rocky Mountain Institute. Um, um, huge appreciation uh, for the great work at Rocky Mountain Institute and their collaborative approach to working with everybody. Um, we certainly try to be like an RMI of North Carolina. Um, there's a lot to admire there and what they've been able to accomplish with people. And um, I think we can do the same here in North Carolina, and they'll probably have a role in that. But uh, they put out a great report on natural gas looking at uh, what has been proposed uh, for natural gas. They put it out here in uh, last year in 2019. And um, it did not look good for natural gas. Uh, I think it was something like, even without any further gains or advancement in energy efficiency, something like 70% of proposed natural gas plants were going to be uneconomic before the end of their um, useful life. And so um, it was either their useful life or just their amortization (laughs) schedule. Uh, I'd have to go back and look again, but regardless, it doesn't matter. I mean, the writing's on the wall. Uh, we have just deployed an incredible amount of natural gas at breakneck pace. Um, as, as we noted yesterday, going from like 4% to over 30% natural gas powered. Um, we're still building our bridge to the future, um, but the part that's being built with natural gas should be done. We, uh, last decade, came to the end, actually a decade before we built the last ever new coal plant, as far as anyone can foretell in North Carolina in the 2000s, I think it would be reasonable to say, and we submitted a study to say as much to the Utilities Commission last year that says we don't need to build any more natural gas either. Um, I don't know what that's going to mean because a lot of there's a lot kind of midstream in investment in building new natural gas pipelines and so forth. NCSEA stands for, not against, but the one thing we got to stand for is just looking at the evidence, looking at the information that's available in the market. And right now, good good analysis based on available information like RMI's report is suggesting that um, we've got to come together and uh, wrap our heads around what the rest of this bridge is going to be built by and with. So staying in line with our holiday theme, because it is the holidays and we love it, it's fun, a lot of people are exchanging gifts, what's on the clean energy wish list for the 2020? Peace, love, and joy. <laughs> Still in the holiday spirit. Yeah, um, I don't ruin it yet. <laughs> um, 
Well, I think what's on the wish list is really honest, respectful, um, constructive dialogue. I think we have a tremendous opportunity that I hate to see us waste right here at the start of the decade to come together and say, what do we need? Where are we going? Like, let's all look in the same direction. Uh, us. Who, are, who am I talking about? I'm talking about everyone. I'm talking about utilities. I'm talking about, inter, you know, solution providers and clean energy. I'm talking about all consumers um, from low income and kind of unheard and underserved all the way to the largest multinational corporations, government as consumer, military. We all need to answer the question together. Where are we going? What do we need? What do we want? Where do we want to be out there? And then have that really difficult conversation. I think time is now. I think there's a lot of energy and motivation to have this conversation right now at the beginning of the year about what are our options for how to set ourselves on a course to get there. It's too complex. We can't predict the entire path to our desired, mutually desired destination. But, but we can... And I think there's a lot of reform, and that, I think that's the big wish list, is we've hit our head at the end of last decade on so many walls of we can't just tweak out a little more opportunity for solar or energy efficiency or EVs or storage. It's just there, there's, fun, there's fundamental things in the skunk works of policy, regulation, and business model that we gotta, we got to put our finger on and, and um, modernize. In the 2010s, one onshore utility-scale project came into operation. It was a big one, 208 megawatts. Do you think we're going to see more development of onshore wind projects in the 2020s? And what about offshore wind? Yeah, in different places in the southeast. Um, I would like to think here in North Carolina as well. We have some good project proposals still sitting out there for onshore wind development in coastal North Carolina. Currently, currently we do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know what state the developers would say they feel that um, those proposals are in. But circumstances keep improving. The economics keep improving. And if we make some regulatory reforms, then kind of the disincentives toward embracing wind power um, may dissipate and the benefits um, then just shine brighter. Uh, Virginia is making progress on wind and not even just land-based but offshore wind. Avangrid that is responsible, um, wonderful people like Craig Poff, very responsible. Um, Avangrid did a great job with Amazon Wind Farm East and now they uh, they won the auction for the offshore wind lease blocks off of the coast of Kitty Hawk. Um, they're at work trying to figure out how to do that well with a lot of folks. Um, Governor Cooper came out and said it's really important that we uh, figure out how to utilize our offshore wind resource. The legislature put in the budget that they originally passed in 2019 a $300,000 port study uh, to specifically look at the opportunity of offshore wind. And um, we have the biggest offshore wind resource potential of any state in the United States. So I'm, I'm very optimistic. Uh, for wind. Also, I think it's worth noting that there have been really serious attacks on wind energy in the form of wind bans, the 18-month wind moratorium that came out of House Bill 589. Do you think we're going to see more attacks on wind energy in this next decade? 
I think we should all have a New Year's resolution of no more negative energy. Uh, <laughs> and, and was that was that was that pun intended, Ivan? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll leave it up to, <laughs> to the listeners to decide. Um, I I mean I hope my optimism is shared by everyone, but also something that can turn that opt- optimism into results and benefit for everyone is just acknowledging that we we have a real win-win opportunity that's fallen in our laps collectively because you could even call it a win-win situation yeah oh my god it's getting even better um uh so uh yeah win-win situation but i mean that applies to kind of all energy at this point and um you know it's if if we can have no negative energy there's a lot of water under the bridge a lot of people um uh that have um you know, in their struggles um, to understand why what they care about may not be happening the way it is, um, have said a lot of nice, not nice things about each other <laughs> um, across our state uh, for going on probably 20 years. Uh, I think if we can all be future forward, looking forward to what we're dealing with now and the opportunities ahead of us, uh, there's no reason to have any wind bands. Uh, there's, there's no reason not to align kind of interests around our energy economy, our system future well we might not have any wind bands and i and i don't think we will but what do you see on the horizon that might be challenging for clean energy in this new decade what's probably most challenging this decade for energy is that we learned in the last decade that everything we took for granted as um as always will be about energy and electricity is that an energy resource would be developed or procured or generated somewhere and it would be brought to where it's needed and it would get used period and we really brought home a a common socialized understanding that that's not the only way it works anymore now energy can be harnessed generated used renewed um, cycled locally right where you are and that's primarily enabled by renewable energy batteries electric vehicles you can even have little power plants that move around in cars and buses i mean we're ending this decade with an entirely new conceptualization of what an energy system is and systems and how they work together um, what technologies and resources are available to us we went from having four or five to having a couple dozen uh, it's really phenomenal so now in this decade I think now the next thing that it upends for us is it upended our understanding of engineering and systems last decade now it's going to up in business model and what's available to us uh, in the market as um, consumers and employers and providers um, that that's going to be a big uh, psychological and cultural transition for us. Um, There's going to be creative destruction in the market. There's going to be further innovation um, and uh, business models, businesses. uh, There's going to be a lot of opportunity and uh, winners and losers. So let's jump back in the time machine and travel into the far future. What could North Carolina's energy landscape look like in 2030? So under the status quo, I think um, we just have to test that really quick. So what would we do? Well, we'd build a lot more natural gas. 
Um, we'd probably mothball some coal plants, so someone who thinks that they might have some future value or use could bring them back. Um, there's always a few hangers on, right, in the coal space. And um, we would probably have a lot of knockdown, drag out fights around a little more solar. And um, we would not realize much more of our energy efficiency potential, and we'd probably see really large rate increases falling primarily on low-income customers and small businesses that really can't afford any more, much less the bills they're already paying. Well, as, and you know, when we learned in the early 2010s, I think it was this concept of utility death spiral. Well, that's real, right? So if we do nothing and we sit on our hands and put our head in the sand, yeah, that's going to happen. Like, that's our, that's the path of reality we're headed toward. Anyone who can will be able to uh, access, not through the utility, but the utility, but if we don't change anything and acknowledge that this this inevitability that things are becoming more accessible to customer, at least the regulated utilities, that we don't acknowledge that and, and fundamentally change how we set this system up and incentivize outcomes, um, then uh, we're going to break it. Look at PG&E. So now they are under the gun. Uh, the clock. Uh, give us the, a one. Give us a one sentence ex- description of PG&E. All right, Pacific Gas and Electric declared bankruptcy, right? So a lot of people started paying attention when fires started um, causing pa- uh, major power outages. And, um, but PG&E had lost a lot of its customers, a lot of their demand for electricity long before fires started causing blackouts in the headlines of the news. And that's the part of the story that a lot of people miss because it's, energy is so complex that the common social dialogue we have about it doesn't get that detail. People can understand fires make power go out, right? And they can talk about that in social circles with what they know about energy, but they can't talk about because they can't see because often we don't even report it in media that there were all these community choice aggregators standing up and there was all of this um, rooftop solar and efficiency happening and batteries happening all over California that was eroding their load rapidly. I mean, I think they had, they had lost 20, 30% of their load before these fires ever started. I mean, bankruptcy, from where I sit as kind of a visionary, I'm always thinking six, seven, 12 years into the future, what's gonna happen? It felt like an inevitability to me, and then the fire started, and I'm like, they're done, right? So hopefully they'll make it through so that everyone still gets served as they need to be served in this great transition. And they're finding their way, like through bankruptcy courts. Is that what we want for North Carolina or anywhere in the Southeast? Like, I think this is a cautionary tale to, um, we've got to sit down together and have really good dialogue and, and just name the problems now while the cost is probably a savings. But let's have the dialogue now where we get to enjoy a little more savings and get what we all want and need as opposed to waiting to later when we've borne a whole bunch of cost of inefficiency, building a bunch of natural gas plants that become uneconomic, um, expanding transmission lines where we didn't need them and we didn't build them where we did, like to bring offshore wind to the load centers in North Carolina, and just so on and so forth. Um, uh, Look at all the businesses that got shut down because there was no microgrids in place. We've been talking about microgrids for how long in North Carolina? Like, let's just get down to business. Let's put them on the schools. Let's put them on the shelters. Let's put them on those critical loads of hospitals and first responders, uh, health clinics, uh, laboratories. Let's just do it. 
right? And it's going to make sense. It And if it has a temporary cost bump in three years, well, let's do a bunch of efficiency at the same time. And the cost savings will get out or cost avoidance will get out of that is more than going to offset some of these higher costs, presumably. Now, we got to test this all out. We're evidence-based. We got to model it, but we can't begin to get to modeling those types of scenarios for a future that's going to be really resilient. And resilient is going to be a key word in this decade, especially as, as climate continues to change and we feel more of those impacts. What I'm really talking about here is, are we going to get resilient? And are we going to stand up for ourselves and enable ourselves to not just survive and thrive, but compete and improve our quality of life and have greater cleanliness and affordability and equity? Like that's that's the great challenge. And, and so that dialogue's got to happen. Under the status quo, it doesn't happen. But what I'm also giving you is the counterfactual, like the, the other scenario, where if we just talk, so much becomes possible. It's almost mind-blowing. And people are probably going to get overwhelmed with like the possibilities if, when they start to venture into those waters. And so it's going to be important that we remind each other to, hey, take a breath, stay calm. We're in positive territory here, right? Like we're, we're headed toward win-wins. It's a real deal. It's really possible. The answers aren't easy. It's going to take some innovation. It's going to take getting rid of some things that have felt like security blankets and pillars of the way things are and putting new things in place. Um, do we have to, is everything we do have to be money that's spent by the regulated utility? Or can it be anyone's money that gets spent and so only some of it gets recovered from ratepayers? That kind of question, if we can talk about that kind of question and say, how does that work for a utility so that they're still a strong, resilient company themselves as part of the energy backbone of our economy? Well, we'd have to change regulation. And that's okay. And then low-income customers, when clean energy happens, it's not a utility death spiral. We can make the utility so they come out fine. And less of it can go into rates for small businesses and low-income customers. And it also unlocks an opportunity and a reward system to deliver real solutions to small businesses and low-income customers, making them more economically resilient. And also, you know, greater participants in the energy economy. Whoop. Last question. We're jumping back into the I, I think I just consumed the entire podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, it's great. Last question. We're jumping back in the time machine. We're kicking it into high gear. Pedal to the metal. We're going to 2050. Give us a give us your short prediction for what 2050 might look like, Ivan. Sure. Well, um, who knows what the technology mix will be, but one thing I feel really confident about is that um, how we understand energy to be a business, to be transacted today, and as a resource and a service today, um, it'll look nothing like that mm. in 2050. So, and what's where do I go in my mind to uh, envision a 2050 or maybe even sooner is uh, rural America. We uh, had the Rural Electrification Act and um, Utility, rural utilities, electric membership cooperatives, and some small towns with their own municipal utilities um, have really been tested to be a to be that resilient backbone for their communities um, through thick and thin 
of economy. And the next few decades, I think, because of where technology has gone, um, going digital, being decentralized, automation, artificial intelligence, takes things where you had to be around a lot of people and in infrastructure in the past to have opportunity and access to affordable technology and services, and it takes them and makes them available everywhere to everyone. So what does that look like? I can imagine a rural electric cooperative business model where everyone is on the right side of the digital divide. They have access to telehealth, education, uh, they, they can be employed at a distance and, and get a living wage, hopefully. We'll see what happens with the global economy. Um, uh, that they can um, be connected to the world and the world um, can put investments and economic opportunities in their areas in ways with a digital economy that they can't today. Um, so that right-sized employment opportunities for smaller populations uh, that right now in counties that we look at and say they're unheard, uh, they're, they're underserved by telecoms, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Now they could have like automated vehicle fleets that are probably owned, operated, maintained by the cooperative uh, that their member customers can just call to go do what they need to do. Go to their place of faith, um, be in community, um, see Pick family. Pick up produce and deliver it. Go to a job. They could have small trucks that run around from farm to farm in the community, and they could have real-time app-based orders and placement of orders very economically because a lot of that inefficiency of the systems will be wiped out. And, um, and you know, they'll be greatly improved is what I mean. So, the, um, so imagine uh, that kind of all the ways that people are unheard, unseen, underserved, undervalued, not connected today, have real systemic opportunity to be solved in the only institutions out, um, that really touch everybody in rural area is, um, I, is like government and utility. But utility even spans beyond a lot of governments like county and, and towns. And so I'm really optimistic because I've already seen so much innovation in the last decade amongst rural co cooperatives across the U.S. that uh, I think it's almost in their DNA because they're, they're so close. Their ears are so close to the mouths of, of, of their members and their customer who are their customers, um, that, that no one has to yell and scream to get the attention of each other, right? They're right there together. And, and so with everything we've talked about, um, manifesting in society and in rural America, I, 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 I am optimistic that we can have a more vibrant future and a future of better service and value and opportunity in rural America than we've had. But it's, but it's, it's so much changes about what is familiar to get to that quality of life that it'll be a major adjustment that'll take decades. And I'm just beginning to think about what does that mean now on the urban side? And on the urban side, um, energy, things like solar are just gonna be widgets in everything. It's gonna be in paint and materials and et cetera. It's like- um, the Clothes. Clothes, yeah, everything. We'll be beyond that. Like that's what we can talk about today. We'll be beyond that, right? That's like and, 2030. We're talking yeah, about 2050. Yeah, so passe, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, 
And uh, it's like people leave the conversation at, at uh, networking drinks when some people say that, right? And it's like, oh, I've been talking about that for a decade. Um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but it's real now, right? And it's, and it's commercializing. So what's next, right? And next after that, next after that, because this is all going to accelerate. And all these areas of technology like 3D printing, artificial intelligence, uh, batteries, mobile energy, um, mobile not just in a vehicle, but like on our bodies, you know, so on and so forth. I mean, I think ridiculous ideas like drones delivering packages is flash in the pan. We're going to move, we're going to so leapfrog beyond stuff like that. And, and we're already learning like if we, when we only think one step ahead, like we have huge carbon costs and congestion costs and all that stuff. But we have to do that with things like package delivery services today uh, to be able to think about the innovative ideas that need to come next. And we're going to have that experience as consumers with energy in the 2020s, 2030s that will lead to the innovations that will manifest in the 2040s and by 2050. That'll just it'll, Everything, I think, will be fundamentally different. Wow. Well, I can't wait to check back in with you on Squeaky Clean uh, 30 years from now. <laughs> hopefully, I'll, I'll, hopefully I'll still be kicking. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Ivan, wow. Thanks for your insight and your vision for the future. It's so exciting to hear about what might be on the horizon for not just North Carolina, but rural America, urban America, even globally. You know, I just want to give a shout out to our listeners who are bringing in the U- new year across the globe and just communicate to you that North Carolina is an ecosystem that really is an example of what we can do nationwide for clean energy. So as we wrap up this episode, I just want to say thank you for listening. We are really excited to bring you this content. We are really excited to have Ivan on the show. Ivan, thank you so much for being on the show. You were a great guest. (laughs) Well, that's good to hear. I never know. Uh, But thank you for what you're doing, Ben. Um, It's so much fun. I just, I'm eager every time to listen to a new episode, but, but it'll be especially fun to see my children's face when we listen to this one, Aww. because they already know the squeaky clean. It's oh. a, it's a household name. Oh, that's great. I got, I got to tell a little story. Can I tell a little story? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right, put it in there somewhere. But, um, um, I was lucky enough to be able to put solar on my house in 2014. Uh, we had moved. My daughter was four years old. And it, it was so amazing as uh, we only put nine panels on our roof and, it, and it's made a big impact in, you know, our bill and, and how much um, we're able to supply for ourselves. And we've done a lot for efficiency inside our home, which is essential, um, but not everyone can do. Right. But uh, to see the look on my daughter's face and just to see how her generation and her friends just assume that that's going to be an opportunity for everyone they'll ever know um, is a powerful assumption because that means they don't have to vision. They just have to live that that they already assume to be true. And when and they're socializing it amongst themselves right now in now in fourth grade. And my son is, you know, even younger. It's going to be even more socialized for him that what we say are challenges and we might wring our hands about today is a given for them. And they don't have full awareness of every customer situation of small business and low-income customers today, but also just the awareness they do have is that they have visibility and accessibility to the world that I didn't have 
at their age. And it's incumbent upon me as my, as a parent to make them aware of other people's life circumstances and needs and opportunities and to play a role in that together with them, like to be together with them in the world and, and um, live these assumptions, right? Um, that That is something that we didn't talk about so much, right? But I don't want to miss it because when we think 2030, um, she's going to be a voting adult. Wow. When we think 2050, I can only imagine she's so smart. <laughs> like what she's <laughs> going to be doing, her brother's going to be right there kicking butt too. So are so many children that are out there right now, right, who are experiencing uh, the changing climate, but are also experiencing so many exciting opportunities and solutions, at least witnessing them in the world. Um, they may not believe that it's available to them, and it very well may not be available to them right now the way things are. But damn if they aren't going to like apply themselves to change that. And I hear it and see it already in their words before they're even 10. And I, and I hear it from other kids too, like just around. Uh, so I, I'm, I mean, that's my ultimate optimism that um, these problems, there's always new problems. I mean, we're humans. Like we gotta create, we gotta keep ourselves busy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we, right. we can't quell the curiosity <laughs> yeah, exactly. and, and the exploration, right? And that's beautiful and wonderful. Um, but that's that's the big factor for 2050. I could sit here and pontificate all day long and talk about this or that technology or business model or whatever. But it's them. They're the ones that are gonna be doing it. I'm gonna be along for the ride at that point. Uh, hopefully, it's still along for the ride. <laughs> you definitely, definitely. Wow, Ivan, thanks for sharing that. That was yeah, heartwarming. Sure. What, a, what a great holiday story for y'all to take home. <laughs> Thank you so much again, Ivan, for being on the pod. What a great episode. And uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, man. Happy New Year. Happy decade. It's going to be a good one. Yes, happy decade to everyone. It's up to us. <laughs> it's up to us in the 2020s. And there you have it, folks, the 19th episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast. Bring in the latest in clean energy right to your ears. Ivan did it again. He's proven time and time again that he truly is a clean energy wizard. (laughs) Yeah, energy wizard indeed. And Ivan just has that institutional knowledge that makes him the perfect guest for this show. If you're going to have someone making predictions about the future, you definitely want them having some experience with the past. Ivan has that, so I'm really glad we got him on the show. Agreed. Now, Ben, uh, what was your key takeaway? My key takeaway goes back to an NCSCA principle, which is to have the right people in the right seats. And, And what you get out of that is productive dialogue. And when you heard Ivan talking about the conversations that need to be had in this new decade, really what we need is to have the right people around the table. We need all the stakeholders present. So my key takeaway is that we need to have the right people in the right seats to have the right conversations. So Jarvis, what's your key takeaway? I think my key takeaway is that children are the future. Um, It really seems like it's gonna fall all back on these younger generations. All this hard work that uh, is being put in for clean energy, it's really gonna fall back on them in order for it to come into fruition. Definitely, definitely. 
And we want to thank you so much for listening to this show. We're happy to bring this to you on New Year's Day. And let's give a little bit of a teaser for the next episode. Jarvis, who's our next guest? Our next guest is someone that you and I have been very excited uh, to finally interview and finally release it to everyone. Uh, NASA. We are talking to NASA, 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 NASA. NASA. All right. We're taking it to the stars. Yes, we are talking with NASA about their work with clean energy. Uh, We're talking about data and how their data influences clean energy markets and how certain patents get developed into clean energy technology. So you do not want to miss that episode. It's going to be a great one. And thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day and have a happy new year. Happy New Year.